0: Good morning. It is a wonderful day to be here to worship the Lord. As we begin this morning, I would like to take uh, just just a minute or two and truly commend the leadership of this congregation. I want to commend the leadership of this congregation for making available to both the membership of the congregation as well as those outside the church and the surrounding area, as many resources as they, as they do. And I am particularly speaking about the latest House to House, Heart to Heart. For those of you that typically pick it up, or even if you don't, the new issue of House to House, Heart to Heart is out here on the foyer table in that little rack, and I would encourage you to take them home. They are fantastic. This is the fourth congregation that I have had the privilege of serving as the evangelist, and in two of those four, obviously not counting Shoto, but in two of the previous three, I was the one who tried to introduce house to house, heart to heart. And in one of those cases, they only put out four issues. And we had four conversions <laughs> as a result. And then they, they stopped it. And I thought that was kind of a shame. And um, in, the other, in the other one, I think there was a conversion in in one of the other ones as well. But at any rate, if you do not typically take home house to house and look it over, it is fantastic, and again, for those here, for the eldership, those responsible for making sure that it is mailed into the surrounding community, what a blessing, And, and I am so grateful for it. I bring that up, one of the reasons I also bring that up, is because this latest issue of House to House, Heart to Heart, is something that's very relevant to our theme this year, Save One Soul in 2019. That new issue fits right in perfectly with that because the title article in This House to House has to do with four lies which Satan tells people and they have bought into about the Bible. Lies which you're probably going to encounter more often than not as you seek to talk to people about the Gospel and about Jesus Christ. Both sermons today, both this morning's and tonight's, are of a similar theme and application. They are entitled, Can We All Understand the Bible Alike? Can we all understand the Bible Alike? This morning's lesson and tonight's as well are, They came from an old Phil Sanders outline that he had taught back when he was at the Nashville School of Preaching a number of years ago. And I thought it was a fabulous outline. And so I'm going to be quoting him on some of this stuff. But he makes a great point. People today, if they walk into a number of different churches, they're going to hear a number of different things about the Bible. They're going to hear a number of different things about the same topics from the Bible. You walk into this church, or that church, or some other church, and they're all going to tell you different things regarding different topics on the Bible. But it's important for us because as we go out, hopefully prayerfully, understanding our responsibility to evangelize this year as as individuals one-on-one, we're going to encounter people who have been taught so many different things even on the same text and the same topic, and and they're going to come up with with reasons they have been trained and taught to, to go to. And some of the things that are said don't make a whole lot of sense at times. Brother Sanders, for instance, says in his introduction, there are a number of popular beliefs being taught about the Bible that we need to explore. Perhaps you have heard some of them. And he gives us this list. Number one, have you ever heard anybody say, the Bible is not really meant to be understood? As you talk to people, that's one of them. Another one would be, the Bible says different things to different people, you ever heard that? Well, that may be what it says to you, but that's not what it says to me. A third thing that is often said about the Bible What is important is not so much what the Bible says, but what the Bible says to me. Very closely related to the second one. Number four, the New Testament addressed the culture of the first century. And it doesn't really speak to us today. You ever heard somebody say that? The Bible's 2,000 years old. I mean, that was written to them back then. That really doesn't have too much to do today with our modern technological age. Another might say it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you are sincere. I've heard that one. How many of you have heard that one? doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you believe. Yep. And finally, here's the one that we'll take on a little later on. (laughs) You can make the Bible say anything you want it to. You ever heard that one? You can make the Bible say anything you want it to. These are all things that we hear about the Bible. This last one is, The idea that is floating around, take a passage of scripture, read it to a group of people, and there will be as many interpretations of that passage as there are people in that room. Is that really true? The idea, if you can make the Bible say anything you want it to, that some people will, will toss out there at us as we seek to talk to them about the Lord and about his word, and this idea that, well, you can just take any text that you want and you can read it to a whole room full of people. And everybody in the room will come up with a different interpretation of it, different ideas. Is that really true? Was the Bible meant to be understood or not? Was the Bible intended to be understood alike by everybody? This morning, I want to begin taking a look at some of those statements, I want to begin by conducting a little experiment, a little uh, spiritual chemistry test, if you will. We're going to find out whether or not those statements, some of those statements are true that people use. And I'm gonna ask you to do something I don't typically do. Typically I'll say, take out your Bible. Sometimes I'll say, take out your songbook." This morning, I'm gonna ask you to take out your bulletin. Take out your bulletin, please. Everybody's got a bulletin. Please take it out. Maybe this little illustration will help us to illustrate as we talk to people who give us these lines about, well, you know, you read the same thing to a group of people. Everybody's going to have their own interpretation. Look at the prayer concerns. On the back. Yes, on the back. Prayer concerns. I'm going to read this to you. See how many of you come up with different conclusions? Hannah Joyce had inconclusive results from the heart monitor and will have a loop recorder inserted to get a clearer picture of the episodes. She is waiting for an appointment. Now, how many of you, when I read that, thought that Karen Dingley was going in for tests? (coughs) Nobody? Okay. How many, when I read that, thought that Hannah was going in because she's having liver problems? Just so so I can check and make sure you do this. Everybody raise your hand so I know that you're capable. Everybody. Thank you. Okay. Now, how many of you, when I read that, understood that Hannah Joyce had inconclusive results from the heart monitor, and so she went in last week and got a loop recorder inserted? How many of you got that conclusion from what I read? You didn't listen, did you? (laughs) That she's already been in to get the loop recorder inserted. No, it says she will have a loop recorder. It doesn't say she did have. So let me ask you again, how many of you think she did have based on what I read? Nobody. Hmm, question. Did I read to you a paragraph? Did we all come to the same conclusion? It's about Hannah and what I read. Can we all understand what's written there? And when you read that the first time as an announcement, did you pretty much understand what it meant? Let's try the next one. Let's move down, actually, to Timber. Timber McCullough will have surgery Tuesday, February 5th, to repair her heart. Very simple announcement. Let's say that I read that to you. How many think she's going in on March 1st? (coughs) How many of you think that it is Easton that's going in to have surgery when I read that? How many of you think that it's lung surgery? No, no, no. We read that and we understand, right? It's pretty simple. Timber McCullough will have surgery Tuesday, February 5th, to repair her heart. Now, Kathy Bond wrote those announcements, I'm assuming. How many of you think Kathy Bond is smarter than God? Don't raise your hand. How many of you think Kathy Bond is smarter than God? Nobody. Kathy can write announcements. She can write in black and white on paper so we can all read the same thing and come to the same conclusion. Is that correct? Is God at least that smart? So guess what? That should mean that God is able to put in plain black and white what he means in a way that we can all understand it the same, doesn't it? It absolutely does. Okay, so let's see if our little conclusion to our test works. Let's see if God really is smart enough to word things in such a way that we can all read the same thing and come to the same conclusion on the same subject. Please turn to me this morning to Mark 16. We're going to go through this experiment several times because so often we hear that we can all read it, read it to a room full of people, and everybody gets a different conclusion. So let's try that. Let's see if that's actually the case. This is the litmus test. Mark chapter 16. I'm going to read you two verses. Verses 15 and 16, Mark 16, verses 15 and 16. Jesus said to them, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Okay, I just read verse 16 to a whole crowd of people, little over 100 people, I'm guessing, all right? How many of you took that to mean that when the gospel is preached to people, he who believes will be saved and should be baptized later on? How many of you believe, based on that verse, that's what God said? Nobody? Okay. How many of you think, or how many of you, when I read that, we should all have different conclusions if these people's point is right, how many of you think, based on verse 16, that the one who is neither believed nor baptized will be saved? How many of you believe that if you baptize a baby who cannot believe because they don't know what to believe, that baptism alone is enough to save that child? How many of you got that out of that verse? Hmm. Let me ask you this. How many of you read that verse or listen to me read that verse and come to the conclusion that one must believe the gospel and be baptized in order to be saved? How many got that out of it? Well, my, mind. Hmm. Well, may not always work that way. Let's turn to Acts 2. Acts chapter 2. Even if you can quote it, now I know there's a lot of you in here that can. Turn to me to Acts 2, verse 36. Verses 36 to 38. therefore Peter said let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Christ when they heard this they were cut to the heart said to Peter and the rest of the apostles men and brethren what shall we do verse 38 Peter said to them repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit verse 38 as I read verse 38 to over 100 people, how many of you understood from that? Because after all, you can make the Bible say anything you want it to, apparently, or it says different things to different people. How many of you understood that you don't have to repent? How many of you understood that you need to repent and be baptized after your sins are forgiven, based on that passage? Not a soul. Hmm. How many of you understood from that passage, as I read that passage to all of you, that you needed to both repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins in order to be saved? How many of you got that out of it? Brethren, there's a lot of passages we could do that with. How can we read Galatians 5.4? You can turn to Galatians 5.4. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 4. One verse, we will recall that the instruction to the Galatians in that particular epistle, they were written to Christians who were already in Christ in the church, faithful in Christ Jesus, Galatians 1 and verse 2. It was written to them, and as we turn over to Galatians 5, 4, 100 plus people in this room, and I read the following. You have become estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. When I read that to you, how many of you understand that passage, it's impossible to fall from grace? You don't, do you? You see the fallacy in this idea that you read one passage to everybody and everybody comes up with a different interpretation? Not if you just simply let God be God and read what God said. If you Humble yourself before God, and you let God say what God has to say. You can read the same verse to 100 people, 1,000 people, 10,000 people, and guess what? They're all going to come to the same conclusion. Let's try one more Ephesians 4. And I hope you're you're really thinking about this. And the next time you have the opportunity to talk to somebody, I hope that you will do this. I did this once to somebody. I was told, well, you know, it says different things. Does it? Okay. And I took them to Acts 2.38. And I I had them read it. I said, what does that say to you? That's what we need to do is get people into the scriptures. We need to pass them a very easy to understand verse and ask them what their conclusion is. And guess what? Isn't it amazing? I'm usually going to say to them, hey, my conclusion is the same thing. Let's try another one. Ephesians chapter 4, particularly in verse 5, it says, there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. How many of you get out of that passage that any faith is acceptable to God, of all of the hundreds of faiths that are out there, not a soul? How many of you think that, well, based on that verse, there's one Lord, there's one faith, there's one baptism? How many of you think based on that verse that it doesn't matter how you were baptized, what you were baptized for, the mode of baptism, baptism is baptism, how many of you got that out of it? Nobody, why? Because if you really sit down and just look at what God said, surely we can all understand the Bible alike, can't we? There's your proof, you know why we can do that? Because God designed it specifically so we could. Turn to me in your Bibles to Deuteronomy 30. We could have gone to a lot more verses. I could keep you here. Well, I could keep preaching, but till four o'clock this afternoon, we could go round and round with this. But we need to understand the reason that we can do that is because <coughs> God designed the word that way. Look in Deuteronomy 30 verses 11 through 14. Look what it says. Look at the design. God's word was given so we could all understand it alike. Deuteronomy 30, verse 11. For this commandment which I command you today is not too mysterious for you, nor is it far off. It's not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend into heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. He said it's not way off up there, it's no great mystery. Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear and do it but the word is very near you in your mouth and in your heart that you may do it. You don't have to go wandering all over the place to find out where the word is and what to do. It's given very near to you but it's given so you can all understand it. If you look over in Deuteronomy 31 beginning at verse 9 and running through verse 13 he explains that. 31.9 So Moses wrote this law delivered to the priests, the sons of Levi who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord to all the elders of Israel. Watch this now. And Moses commanded them, saying, at the end of every seven years, at the appointed time in the year of release, at the Feast of Tabernacles, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses, you shall read this law, watch this now, before all Israel in their hearing. Gather the people together. Men, women, Little ones, and the stranger who is within your gates, that they may hear and that they may learn to fear the Lord your God and carefully observe all the words of this law, and that their children who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land which you're crossing over to possess. What's the word? How, why is the word delivered the way it is? So, everyone. Men, women, little ones, strangers who don't know God, can hear it and understand it. It's written that way. (laughs) Brother Sanders said that God's instructions were written down to be read to men, women, and children every seven years, an enduring process. It was to all Israel, smart, dumb, conservatives, and liberals. Those who didn't know it were expected to learn it. Brother Sanders' commentary. All of us understanding the Bible alike is the reason given by the New Testament writers of why they wrote the scriptures. Turn to me the gospel according to Luke, Luke 1, 1 through 4. Luke, why did you write the way you did? Why why did you write all this stuff down, Luke? What was the point? Luke chapter one, verses one through four. Luke basically says, if I may paraphrase, then I'll read what it actually says. Reason I wrote this down so y'all could understand it the same way. That's, you know, below the Mason-Dixon line, so y'all could understand it, okay? Luke 1. Verse 1, inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, here we go, that you may know the certainty of the things in which you were instructed. He said, I wrote this down so you'd all know. John tells us the same thing in John chapter 20. In John chapter 20, verses 30 through 31, he says, these things are written down so that you may know. That's the reason. There's so many times in the New Testament this wording occurs. Another one, 2 Corinthians, turn there with me. The Apostle Paul, same thing. 2 Corinthians chapter one. Verses 12 and 13, look what he says. 2 Corinthians 1, 12 and 13. For our boasting is this, the testimony of our conscience that we conducted ourselves in the world in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God and more abundantly toward you. For we are not writing any other things to you than what you read or understand and I trust you will understand, even to the end. God had his Bible written so we'd all understand it, so we'd all understand it the same way. Do you know how many times in the New Testament God says that the reason for the writing is so that you would all be of one mind. When God says, I had this written down so you'd all be of one mind, what is he saying? I had this all written down so you'd all understand it the same way, come to the same conclusion, and respond the same way. Look how many times God tells us this. Beginning, Romans chapter 15. And I'm going to go right through chronologically here. I I want you to see this. Romans chapter 15. I say chronologically, as far as our Bibles are, are concerned, in the placement of the New Testament books, that is. First Corinthians 15. A- and I'm coming with a test question at the end of this series of verses, so, so stay with me. First Corinthians chapter 15. We'll read them fast. Begin verses 4 through 6. Romans 15, 4 through 6, says this. Whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Flip forward a book to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. Now I plead with you, brethren, 1 Corinthians 1.10, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Turn to me to 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 11. Don't leave any of these out. These are great study guides to talk to people about. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. Because i got a zinger of a question coming. 2 Corinthians 13, verse 11. Finally, brethren, farewell. Become complete. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Look in the book of Philippians, go forward, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians 1. Philippians loaded, by the way. Philippians chapter 1. So far, every one of the passages we've talked about, be of one mind, be of one mouth, be one. Philippians 1.27, look what it says. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. You know what it means to be of one mind? It means that we all see it the same way. That's what it means. In Philippians chapter 2, look at verse 2. Like I said, Philippians is loaded. Chapter 2, verse 2. Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Look at Philippians 3 and verse 16. 3.16. Good number there. 3.16. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us be of the same mind. If we were to look in Philippians 4.2, we'd see the same thing. Here's the question. How... Have you seen how many times God says be of one mind? You all with me here? Right? How is it possible that we can all be of the same mind if the Bible says different things to every one of us? You ever think? That's a pretty simple question, right? God commanded us over and over and over and over and over and over and over to be of the same mind. How can we be of the same mind if the Bible says something different to everybody that reads it? You can't. It's not possible. How can we be of the same mind if the gospel was designed in such a way that all of us cannot understand it the same? can't. And I love Brother Sanders' comment. This is what he said. And, And this is really, this is the zinger. He says, what kind of God repeatedly says be of the same mind and then composes a bible that says completely different things to everybody that reads it. What kind of a God does that? If we say that God cannot communicate clearly, what, we are, what are we really saying about God? We're saying that people that write ads in newspapers and put in bulletin, bulletin announcements are smarter than God because they can write those in such a way that we understand it and God apparently isn't that smart. That's what we're saying if we say that we can all not all understand alike what God has said. Brother Sanders goes on and says, a simple math lesson teaches the principle of addition. All that are in the class are expected to arrive at the same correct answer. Is that right? You kids, you go to school, right? You go to math class. And you're all expected to come up with the same answer. You read the material, they're all expected to do the same work the same way, come up with the right answer, based on the material presented. They all have to be of one mind. Brother Sanders says, we assume that normally intelligent people would arrive at the same answer if they understood the principles in a math class. If someone came up with a wrong answer, this is critical. If somebody comes up with a wrong answer in the math class after the material's been presented, do we assume the book is wrong? That's what people do with God. Well, if, if this person disagrees with this person, reads that, well, I must mean God made a mistake. No. If someone comes up with a wrong answer, we don't assume the book is wrong. We assume that the person who came up with a different answer needed further teaching. Right? Same way with Scripture. And that's what we've got to get across to people. If people understand the Bible differently, the problem is with the people and not with the Bible. God said be of the same mind. I wrote it so you all could understand it. So you all could understand it the same way. That's why it's written So if you have people that are coming up with answers that are off the wall and wrong, and they they don't agree, and you can't be of one mind, then the person needs more study so that they understand how the process works. God wrote to us what he wanted to know. He wrote it in a way we could all understand it the same. The Bible, contrary to what I read earlier in some of those statements, the Bible is meant to be understood by all people. Men, women, children. The Bible was not designed to say different things to different people. What is important for us to therefore understand is the Bible means exactly every word. It says, what did you, remember Jesus being tempted in Matthew chapter four by the devil? You remember he kept responding with it is written, it is written, it is written. And he said in Matthew chapter four and verse four, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. God's word is there so that we can all understand it and understand it the same, and that is what we are to live by. A couple of other statements here we won't spend as much time on, but some of the statements you might hear you go out to talk to people about Jesus as the one I made earlier about, hey, the Bible was written for them 2,000 years ago. It's got nothing to do with us. (laughs) Turn to me in your Bible to 2 Timothy 3. It's almost as if, you suppose God anticipated that? I I believe he did. 2 Timothy chapter three. As to the Bible just addressing first century culture and it's got nothing to do with us. (laughs) Let me ask you a question. Does man still have a sin problem? Do men still do wicked things to other people? Do we still need a savior to wash our sins away? Then the Bible's still relevant. But the Bible itself makes the point that it is relevant and even even because of the situations that we will encounter as time goes by, it seems like it becomes even more important, certainly not less. Second Timothy three, look at verses one through four. But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come for men will be lovers of themselves. We don't have that around anywhere today, do we? (laughs) Lovers of money, that ain't going to happen. People signing contracts for 30 million a year. Boasters, proud, blasphemers. Got any blasphemers out in the world today? Disobedient to parents. I'm not even going there. Unthankful. People were of one tenth of 1% as thankful as they ought to be for God for what he's done for them. This building be so full today that, that they'd be standing all the way out through and into the outside concrete walkway. Unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, look around. Tell me the Bible's not relevant, really? In the last days these are what people will be and, and we need God at least as much today as we ever had, if not more so. They're gonna be without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God? I mean, people will be heard saying, well I'm not coming to church on Sundays. my only day off, you know, and I, my golf game's suffering. I need to go fishing, I've been fishing for three weeks. Whatever. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. You're gonna tell me the Bible's irrelevant? I'm gonna turn you to 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 4 and say, have you read the newspapers lately? The Bible is not something that only addresses first century culture. Jude tells us about the faith that was once delivered for all the saints, Jude 3. Are we still in that faith, that one faith in the Bible? The faith, contend earnestly for the faith once delivered for all the saints. That faith is still relevant today. It was for all the saints of all time. Finally, the final phrase that I want to offer up for our examination this morning. You might hear somebody say, it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. As long as you believe in Jesus. As long as you're sincere. As long as you, as long as you, you call him Lord. And you really believe. That's all that matters. Somebody should have told that to those poor folks in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. Because those folks in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, they'd driven out demons, they'd done all kinds of wonderful things, they really believed they were going to be saved. They even called him Lord. And he will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, haven't we done all this awesome stuff in your name? What's Jesus going to say to them? depart from me I never knew you, you will practice lawlessness is that what it says in verse 23? You can look it up, that is what it says in verse 23 so doesn't matter what these people were sincere they called him Lord, they believed in their heart they were saved so what was the problem? The problem we see in verse 21 not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord, the land of the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because they haven't done the will of his father who was in heaven. That's why they've done some good things, but they haven't done God's things, as I like to say. Similar are those folks in Matthew 7:21 through 23 to what the Apostle Paul talked about in Romans 10:1 through 3, when he said, I bear them a witness. They have a zeal for God, but not in co- accordance with knowledge. There are people out there today that are zealous for God. They got their bumper sticker that says, you know, honk if you love Jesus. And, and, and they go to these religious meetings and some denominational church somewhere that's never found a Bible. They got a zeal for God, but it's not in accordance to knowledge, what's in this book. And so it takes a little more than just saying, well, it doesn't matter what you believe, as long as you believe something. <laughs> we need to do to illustrate this, we all need to take our car keys. We need to throw them in a big bin out here. doesn't really matter what car you take home, as long as you take one home, right? That makes sense to anybody in this room? If you were going to raise your hand, don't. Does it matter? Which husband or wife you go home with? You think? It matters. And the point here is, folks, it does matter what you believe, period. Final verses of the morning are found in 1 John chapter five. 1 John chapter five. Bottom line is, the Bible was meant to be understood. It was written in such a way that we can all understand it alike. You can read a Bible text, a whole room full of people, and if they're truly listening, they are not going to come to different conclusions. We've proven that. God had it written this way so we could come to the same conclusions and understanding so that we could all be of one mind and one spirit, period. Striving together for the one truth of the Gospel. And I'm going to prove it with these final two texts out of 1 John 5. <clears throat> 1 John 5, look at verses 19 and 20. 19 and 20, look what he says. We know, well, yeah, but what about this person over here who sees it different? No, 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 he says, we know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And we know, there's no question in his mind, that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding The whole purpose of Jesus' coming was to save people, to save a people zealous for good works, and to give them understanding that we may know Him who is true, and we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. How many of you can read that text, verse 20, and come to the conclusion that you can't know the truth? How many of you can read that verse, verse 20? and come to the conclusion that you don't have to be in Christ in order to have eternal life. How many? Seriously. Eternal life is in Christ Jesus. That's what it says right there in verse 20. Way well, I'm seeing it. We need to be in Jesus. How do we get into Jesus? Well, look over there in verse 11. 1 John 5:11. This is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. If you are sitting here this morning, and you are not in Christ Jesus, the Bible says you do not have eternal life, and I don't know how you can read verse 11 and come to any other conclusion. God has given us eternal life, and that life is in his Son. Look at verse 12. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. I don't care if you're 8 years old, 10 years old, 12 years old. There's no way you can read that text and come to a conclusion other than the fact that in order to have eternal life, you have got to be in Christ Jesus. Right? Can you all understand that? It's written that way, isn't it? Sure it is. Okay. So how do I get into Christ? I, I want eternal life. How do I get into Christ? Very simple. There's only two places in the entire New Testament where the phrase into Christ occurs. Into Christ, it tells you how to get into Christ. There's only two places that phrase occurs. Romans chapter six verses three and four and Galatians chapter three verses 26 and seven. It's the only two places. It tells you how to get into Christ. You gotta be in Christ for eternal life, 1 John five. Those are the only two texts that say how to get into Christ and both of them say we are baptized into Christ. Not hard to understand, there's no other way in. And there's no other place eternal life is located. Pretty simple, can we all understand that? Right? Can we all explain that? We need to be able to. This morning, it's not hard to understand. What prevents us sometimes from seeing is other stuff we've been taught. But this morning, if you would have eternal life, you gotta be in Christ. There's no other way around it. And the only way into Christ is to be baptized. To repent of your sins like we read in Acts 2 and verse 38. Let every one of you repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 41 goes on to explain that all of those who received his word were baptized. About 3,000 souls added that day. God added them to the church. Acts 2 and verse 47. If you've never done that, you want to live forever, you want to have eternal life, Jesus is waiting right now to wash away your sins in the waters of baptism. If you have not done that, if you need a Bible study, need to explain further, we'd love to do that. If we can help you in any way this morning, please come to the front as we stand and as we sing. It's not hard. God's made it real easy to understand.